Anyway, do you remember when Dave Portnoy got assaulted by a rally towel at a blue skate? Remember when his wife left him for their spin instructor? Soul cycle. Soul cycle. <laughs> remember when he got cucked by a soul cycle instructor? <laughs> The Broadcast. Broadcast. Broadcast podcast. Sam Chang. I'm here for her takedowns of fools. Georgia Twist. I had a moment where I thought that's not his name. I'm going to redo that. Danielle Huntley. Fuck you, Sam Vanessa Yang. Jing. Vanessa's entire purpose to make me feel old. Expert wag reporter Mallory. I don't like to be bamboozled. Oh, no, actually just got the sweatshirt that says Mock Girl Summer. And welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for joining us, your local hockey girl gang, to talk about hockey, sports culture, and whatever is going on in our brains this week. I'm Georgia, your host for this episode, and I am joined by Sam, Mallory, and Vanessa. Uh, Danny is not joining us. She is on a self-care evening, hopefully. She's also packing because she's moving, but we love you, Danny. All right, we will kick ourselves off as per usual with our highs, lows, and reviews. Sam, what is this week looking like? Uh, this week is a shit show, specifically today. It's Wednesday. I will start with the highs this time, actually, because I have a bit of a rent for my lows. But the highs this week, we got really, really nice feedback on our last episode, which was our interview with Tyler Mott. Um, we also went live on Tumblr this week, and it turns out we have a lot of love on Tumblr, and so... Um, thanks to everyone on Tumblr, but I want to talk a little bit about what happened today because today announced that they were going to have Elias Pettersson on as a guest, which I will say that we each had different responses to it, ranging from Dan's reaction on Twitter, which was rightfully angry. Um, and then I think there was a range too, where Vanessa was like, let's talk about this as a branding decision. So First of all, I want to say that each of us had different reactions. We all had My different... reaction was disappointed, but not surprised. Yeah. And Her reaction... I mean, I feel like that's the thing. Her reaction was, was let's not react. <laughs> yeah. We feel was like, I don't... Do not react. I literally sent a message to the group chat. I was like, hey, this happened. I'm going to pretend I don't see this. And Sam was like, what are you pretending you didn't see? And I, I was like, oh, Petter said he's going on blank. And I was like, then Sam decided that she had a lot of free time and had some opinions, which is great. To be fair, I didn't actually decide. I think what happened was Danny had a reaction and then I saw people coming for Danny and then I got really pissed off at the people coming for Danny because they were being huge fucking pricks about it. Listen, I, I would not have said Buckley as Pedersen, but I fully support her right to say that. And anyone whose reaction to that was that she was canceling him and turning on him and like to send her vitriol all day, like get a grip on your fucking life. My general barometer for hockey players at this point is I expect you to do the worst. And if you don't, then I am happy. Like Mel said, disappointed, but not surprised that this was going to happen. It doesn't make you a bad person. Every single person who's been like, oh, you're just like hating on it and saying he's a bad person. No, you can criticize a decision without saying you're canceling someone and without saying that they are a terrible human being because they did something questionable or bad. 
Yeah, I think I, that like a lot of people think that like criticizing somebody at all is trying to get them canceled or whatever and saying that you're not allowed to enjoy anything they've ever done now. And it's like, no, you shouldn't put people on pedestals and you shouldn't just allow them to unbiased, like if I, if an athlete I like goes and supports something that I think is like misogynistic and racist and has like a lot of issues around it, I'm not going to support that decision. That doesn't mean I'm not going to support what he does on the ice and even things he does outside of the rink. It's just... I'm not pumped about that. Exactly. And I think people really need to grasp that when they read these kinds of reactions is that if you seriously think that us tweeting and complaining about a particular decision means that he is canceled, like he is not going to be an NHL superstar who gets paid an obscene amount of money next year, like you need to punch yourself in the face. I'm sorry. Like if I had that power, Tony D'Angelo wouldn't have gotten a new contract last week. So like get a fucking grip. I don't care if you love I don't care if you love I don't care if you snitch tag them in every single one of my posts. Like congratulations. This you isn't going to fuck you. <laughs> exactly. He's not going to fuck you. But congratulations. You just showed your ass. You think it's more important for you to be able to enjoy like the podcast and to get to hear about their personalities than it is for other people to feel welcomed and included in this sport. And that's all that says about you. And I don't care. You're a shitty person. Get over it. But can I also just quickly say, um, the people who complain about the fact that is the only access that they have to players how about you target your energy at critiquing the NHL for being so shitty at brand like management and at marketing their players so bad instead of like trying to defend a podcast that is situated within a network that is so fucking problematic. Like it is so problematic. You can't even hide behind anything. Think about that. Like, Oh, it's the only podcast that that can have players on. Like, Think about why that is. Like, ah! anyway, Sam, say your high. <laughs> your high to end. Um, okay, my my high, my high is personally end. Dave Portnoy getting both one assaulted by a rally towel at a Blues game, two getting cucked by a Soul Cycle instructor. So I don't know how you can get higher than that. It's pretty tough to top, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go to a tweet that actually really like made my day today because it was a rough day. Tyler Shipley sent us the nicest thread today that basically said that the broadcast pod and the broadcasters are becoming some of the most important voices in the Connects Media orbit. And a day like today illustrates why. Because the brand of that podcast is explicitly, we don't care about that shit. You're all a bunch of snowflake crybabies. It sucks when prominent Connects Media people are silent about it. I get it. We all get it. There is a risk in directly confronting the status quo which actually proves the point that the broadcast and so many others make all the time, which is that the nasty shit that comes out of that crew is the status quo. Hockey is not for everyone because its culture is policed by people like the ones on that shitty podcast. And to that, I want to add, it's also policed by the hundreds of you who felt that it was okay for you to send disgusting things to Danny about insecurities that she has said she's had on this podcast. You should be ashamed of yourselves and you should delete your fucking accounts. That's my low for the week. To get more of that, you can hit subscribe, leave us five stars, and 
we'll revisit this again next week. Uh, lots of fun hockey going on. Lots of white dudes on skates running into each other at full speed. Let's do that hockey. Come on. Let's talk about sports, I guess, because we are a sports-adjacent podcast. Um, I think we should just let Mallory talk about baseball because she's got a lot. Baseball is actually my favorite sport. I know that I have a hockey podcast, but baseball is my one true love. And that's because, like, baseball is just so much fun. Um, So game four, the World Series, and bottom of the ninth, two outs. They walk Randy Rosarena because he has been killing it. His postseason, like his postseason average is like it's almost like four hundred. Like it was, it was something insane. <laughs> anyway, um, the so Brett Phillips, former Kansas City Royal, um, until he got traded because of the fact that he's not good. Um, <laughs> he was acquired anyway. He's fast. They put him in for Chow in the eighth inning, just like as a pinch runner. So he's in there. He's coming up to the plate. He's not good at hitting. He's not, he was only in there to be fast. Anyway, they get down to like two strikes and then just like shit hits the fan. Like I literally can't even explain it to you. I was listening to this like game on the radio. I was doing other things like an old man. And then I literally like went to my TV to actually watch it because everything happens. Everything happens. The right fielder misses the ball and like fumbles it. A Rosarina falls down on his way to home. The pitcher's just like not backing up the catcher because the, and then the throw gets like, goes, I don't even know where it went. A Rosarina is the winning run because there was a tying run. All of this shit's insane. Like you just have to go look at it and watch it like 15 times because every single morning I've just been like, all right, time to watch the end of game four. <laughs> It was like every single thing that could have happened happened within that like one section of the game. It was like like, people complain about baseball. It's so so crazy. It's like how people explain about baseball being like, oh, it's like so boring. Like nothing ever happens. Like every single thing happened in this like one moment. It was crazy. Like I wasn't watching it, but Izzy was like, his reaction to it was incredible. And then when I came out to watch it, it was just like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> it was nuts. Yeah. Nuts. And something crazy, something is happening in like every single quadrant yeah. of the field. Yeah. You have to watch it like at least 15 times to be able to like fully parse out the situation. Like you need a map yeah. or something to be like, this guy, this is what happened. It's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. That tied it into 2-2. The series was 2-2. Yeah. So game five and... Back to your starting pitchers, Kershaw and Tyler Glasnow. Okay, so Clayton Kershaw has been, like, cursed by Octobers in the past. People have claimed that, like, he can't pitch when it really matters and all of that. He, those demons are gone. He proved everyone wrong, honestly. He was Mm -hmm. killing it, lights out. Yeah. Tyler Glasnow, on the other hand, did not have a great game. He... But the thing is that Kevin Cash, who is the Rays manager, left him in for way too long. He was really getting hit on a lot. And like, he had 102 pitches when they took him out after like five innings. And then on the flip side of that, 
now that we move on to game six, the Dodgers won that game, game five. This is just like your crash course in the last three games of the World <laughs> Series because they were all worth discussing, in my opinion. Yes. Game six, choices were made. Choices were made, which is Kevin Cash now actually probably made it so the end of game four is not what you're going to talk about when you talk about this World Series. You're going to talk about Kevin Cash pulling Snell for no good reason in the fifth. So people also, there's going to be like maybe a discussion about like analytics versus eyes because like the Rays are a really small market team. They had to like money ball this shit and like everything and like they basically like are full statistics and stuff because they just don't have the money to do anything else. And, but Snell was at like 73 pitches or something. He only had like two hits on him. He was having like the game of his life. And then there was like, somebody got just a very, a single or something and they pulled him. They pulled him way too early, which they left Glasnow in way too long the night before. So I don't know. I don't know where, where that like leads. Cause people obviously, anytime any analytics team gets out on something, the like old macho men are like, this is why you analytics don't actually matter and all of this. So there's that. Georgia, do you have any takes on those? Basically, like it just seemed really confusing as to why I was taken out. There's like so many conspiracy theories that I saw people being like, and and you always see conspiracy theories pop up when there is no explanation. There's no plausible explanation. So people have to like make shit up <laughs> to make it make sense. And so, yeah, I kept seeing a lot of that. It was M- Mookie Betts, right? That hit the... Oh, okay. Okay. The winning. Sorry. Sorry. So Snell is a left-handed pitcher and Betts, who is the superstar, he's one of the best baseball players. Yeah. He's like generation. Exists right now. He was not hitting well off left-handed pitchers all series and like everyone who was coming up hadn't like maybe it's the third time in the rotation maybe like they'll break through but they had all been struck out or like yeah everything and so then they pull Snell for a right-handed pitcher Mookie Betts goes and wins the game wins the world series I'm happy for the Dodgers. I know that you were cheering for the Rays. The thing is that actually... Now, like, I know you adopted them, but I, I'm, like, happy for Clayton Kershaw. And I also just like... Literally... No, I like the Dodgers. The of this series, I'm not of the series, of, like, the playoffs, the, like, baseball postseason, I was like, I think it's the Dodgers' year. Like, I think the Dodgers are actually going to get it. And then I was like, but I'm going to adopt the Rays. And then... So I don't know. It's really difficult because I was right... And I love being right. But then the team I was supporting did not win. <laughs> I think we should also so what talk am I supposed about... to do there? So one other thing that we obviously need to touch yeah. on is the fact Turner. that... <laughs> Justin Turner, Justin Turner was pulled at the end of, like, very end of the game um, after his most recent COVID test was tested positive. Apparently, like, the first reports were that his first tests were inconclusive, And so there's lots of questions as to why he was allowed to play, obviously. Like, the MLB did this whole thing where they they played the game at a neutral site, so they were playing in Arlington. They were maintaining this, like, bubble situation to keep the players and, like, healthy, I guess. And then Justin Turner, so he tested positive, so they pulled him off the field, which, like, okay, whatever. 
But then when they were celebrating, he like just decided to go out onto the field. No one could stop him apparently. Like he couldn't be stopped by MLB officials or anyone or the team. And he went out and celebrated. He's like touching the trophy. He's making out with his wife. Like it was the weirdest thing to see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely think with the Justin Turner situation, he he was in the dugout two hours earlier. I don't think that really you can say that it's that much worse either way. I mean, obviously, it's just the now op- that you, it's now just you the have the knowledge. Yeah. But it just shows how much that, like, Manfred, like, just really was just so irresponsible and just basically only gave a shit about, like, maybe getting up to this point and once he got to like having a successful season which having a successful season when multiple teams had to quarantine yeah because players got it they had to switch around schedules so teams that were quarantined couldn't play one another all of this but they handed out the trophy and they're like okay that was a success we're done also yeah Stuff. What happened with Manfred? Because I didn't actually watch it, but a bunch of people were like, he seemed not okay. I don't know. He got booed. I didn't really care. I stopped watching. So mm, I don't have an fair. answer for you. But happy for the Dodgers. They have the best uniforms. No, they don't. Okay. That's my... um, I do actually have a segue <laughs> um, for you. Segway. So speaking of the Jays, your Buffalo Blue Jays. Since Canada is taking things slightly more seriously than the United States, it is very possible the border will still be closed by the NBA season restarting. Anyway, Kansas City is making a huge push to be the home site of the Raptors, which like, That's amazing. Really unreal. (laughs) Really, like when we said that you guys said we were going to get an NHL or NBA team, this is not what we meant. Not when one can't go. Okay, let's move on to talk about Dallas. Vanessa, are you Vanessa does not like the jerseys because she's a You don't like the jerseys? Who likes them? No, I like them. I like them. Okay, well you were like memeing on them, so I just assumed. I'm sorry. What what did I even say about No, I like them. I like the I like the green. I like the I wish they would have I wish they would have used the Mooteris. Is that the an old logo that looks like a It's an old logo and it looks like a uterus. Just please look up Mooterus. Oh you showed me that. I was literally like, no, that's a uterus. That is not a cow. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, basically the jersey is an all black with neon accents. Um, it kind of just looks like they're in like Call of Duty or something. That's all I can think of. Yeah, that's I loved. I love the Shigo comparisons. Well, also the thing is that people yeah, those are good. People are so quick to dunk on like anything out of the norm, which is why the NHL has such boring jerseys. Yeah. Like they really should, like we talked about this before, they really should just like market their thirds, like do crazy jerseys for your thirds. Like they could do really cool ones for the Canucks, like if you actually yeah. think about all the options that they could go with, but instead, <laughs> instead. <laughs> We get the same shitty jerseys over and over again. But they should do what, like, the NBA does and, like, what even, like, the Premier League does with different colors. Like, just have some fun. Like, fuck, you guys. I agree that we need more color rush nights. Although it might be – it's easy for Dallas because they're black and green. 
But with the Canucks, you'd have to go quite vibrant, I think, to make it work. I do like the neon. Like, that's what I love about yeah, the Seahawks jerseys. Like, I really like that. It just feels like they need a, a third color in there. That's all I could think of. <laughs> that's all I could think of. Also, like, their logo sucks. So, like, get your shit Yeah, together. it's boring. It's not mine. But this boring. is a step. These really are the days of our lives. You don't need that show. It was just a dumb soap opera. All right, so we are now joined by one of my dear friends, Hannah Sullivan Fackmitz, who is a queer Appalachian Rangers, which we will have to discuss because that's no. And Canucks fan, her stick handling is excellent if you're talking about her cane, and she's pretty fast if scrambling for the last accessible seat on the bus. Hannah is a chronically ill, disabled, mad, fat femme who splits her time between activist, educator, artist, and student. She writes about healthism, ableism, and settler colonialism in recreation and urban planning. Uh, She's here partly because I asked her, but mostly because Mitchell Miller and his enablers at the Coyotes and the NHL need a fucking call out in her words, not mine. Um, So yeah, we brought Hannah on because we wanted to discuss uh, the events that took place, well, a while ago, but which came to light more, I guess, emphatically this week which involves the drafting of Mitchell Miller by the Arizona Coyotes and the report, I think it was in, it was some newspaper in Arizona. I can't remember what it was. I think it was the Arizona Central. Yeah, the Arizona Central that discussed his previous, what, what, how, how would you describe it? Like, I don't want to say bullying because it's a lot more than bullying, but his, his participation in hate crimes against a disabled black boy in his hometown throughout high school and anyway. I called it abuse yeah abuse, abuse works yeah. yeah so actually the first thing Hannah that might be good is can you just give us a quick I don't know if this is possible but like rundown on disability language because I saw a bunch of people throwing out various terms when discussing Isaiah Meyer Crothers this week and I think it might be good for us to learn a little bit about what is the proper use of language surrounding disabled folks? Um, It's disabled people. Disability and disabled are not bad words. So it's disabled people, not people with disabilities um, or people with special needs or uh, differently abled is one that particularly makes my skin crawl. People, uh, People with disabilities is something that sometimes in the older generation, like a generation uh, older than me, might use, uh, my own advisor uses it, Um, but uh, I prefer a disabled person. Um, It's kind of like saying a person who is gay, they're they're a gay person, you know, or a queer person in in my case. So also uh, I think here too, there's some complexity because Isaiah is intellectually disabled. And so there's a lot of inconsistency in the terms that are used, but intellectually disabled is also not a bad thing. So it's not bad to call someone intellectually disabled, um, even if it makes you, if you are able-bodied and neurotypical, uncomfortable. No offense, but that's your problem. Intellectual disability is not a bad thing. So that tends to be the preferred language. The other version is person first. And some people like that, I don't, and most of the community does not either. So we prefer identity first language, which is disabled people. 
Oh, that's super interesting. I think for a lot of people, like we become more versed in, I, this is speaking my own experience. Like you become more versed with misogyny and racism and learning that kind of stuff. But I feel like ableism and healthism are kind of the last bastions of oppression in some way, I guess, ableism particularly that I'm learning about. And I think that sometimes that language can be scary for people to approach if they aren't like knowledgeable about it. But I, yeah, I just saw like a variety of terms being thrown around this week that I thought it would be good for us to have them shorn up a little bit. So thank you for that. Sam, do you want to kind of outline a little bit about the story a little more? So he was picked Um, in the fourth round. Yeah, he was picked in the fourth round with the Coyotes first pick because they had all their other picks stripped from them for violating scouting rules last year. So that was their first pick. He has been also, I believe he was invited to USA Hockey's World Junior Camp. Um, He was drafted by the Sarnia Sting, who coincidentally also drafted Tony D'Angelo. And he has a scholarship at the University of North Dakota, which he received, I believe, two years after his conviction. So this is someone who, after his conviction, at which the judge specifically said, I don't know that you actually understand what you did was wrong or that you demonstrated sufficient remorse, and who did not actually ever deliver his court-mandated apology letter to the family, has at every stage of the way just had notable and prestigious hockey programs and organizations select him and reward him and impose no consequences. And what happened after this all came out was North Dakota put out this ridiculous statement that was like, we decided that we were best placed to give him the tools to deal with this and to become a better person, which was very similar language to the Coyotes saying, we are best placed to make him a leader in the future. And it's like, Nodak is notorious for having a racist logo that they refused to change two years ago. And the Coyotes acquired Tony D'Angelo. And there is a whole pattern here where no one actually believes that any of these organizations are remotely best placed to provide this kind of education. You said Tony D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. They quoted the Coyotes acquired? What? Yeah, yeah, Tony D'Angelo was acquired by the Coyotes before he was acquired by the Rangers. Oh, right. Actually, I forgot about that. I mean, the thing is that's so ridiculous about, like, the NODAC thing is that, like, the idea that, and also, like, the Coyotes in general, is as if, like, he is not going to have an opportunity to, like, better himself without these systems or whatever how they're kind of framing it like it's necessary for him to be in the nhl system to become like not just like a sociopathic piece of shit and it's like most of the world actually does fine with neither of those things so i don't know it's just very bizarre how they're like framing it Yeah. Hannah, do you want to speak about that? Because I think one of the things that was really bandied about is this idea of if he hasn't, like hockey's a privilege and like him having the right to play hockey and like all that kind of stuff got like really bandied about. But I think, ah, I'll just start talking (laughs) because you can explain it much better than me. (laughs) 
I'm, I'm very good at talking at length. Um, I think one of the things I would say first is that I don't actually think he's sociopathic, mostly because like sociopathy is like a, is a mental illness that gets stigmatized for being bad people when in fact they're like actually very good people who have a mental illness. Mitchell Miller does not have a mental illness that makes him a racist, ableist dirtbag, right? Um, he doesn't get that excuse. Uh, this is white supremacy in action, like period, end of sentence. So uh, I think I would definitely say like, we don't get to give him that kind of pass. And also like something I've been thinking about for the past two hours since uh, Georgia asked me to be on the podcast was just the other day in uh, Philadelphia, <clears throat> Walter Wallace Jr. was murdered um, by the police when he was in the midst of a suicidal crisis. And the same system that empowered Miller to act the way that he did, um, and let's be clear, like took a piece of candy with another boy and wiped it all over in a urinal and then brought it to Isaiah and gave it to him and then broke down laughing when Isaiah ate it. And you can see in the uh, video that Isaiah then goes and spits it out and runs after the second kid and Miller intervenes and they get in a fight, which to me, I think it, my guess is it gets called a fight because it's between a black kid and a white kid. If it had been between, if it had just been, it was likely one-sided is really the, uh, the impression I get. What Miller did was not just like, funny bullying. He was empowered to do that and he got away with it. He did 25 hours of community service and then did all of it with disabled people. After he abused a disabled person, he was given community service that was working with disabled people when he should never be allowed around vulnerable people ever again. And I think the thing, the thing I've been thinking about is He's about to get a multi-million dollar rehabilitation into someone who can produce inspiration porn for the NHL because he's going to do the photo ops with disabled people. He's going to be the one who goes to children's hospitals and does those photo ops because it can show how sports has reformed him when in fact he should never be allowed around those people ever again. I just like... Yeah, I think the, per the, the part that like, I think particularly got to me was when this idea presented by the Coyotes that he was going to essentially like be the face of their anti-bullying campaign. And like this, the conversation around chances and like what that means and like uh, people doing stupid things when they're teenagers or when they're children or whatever and forgiveness and like what that means. Like, I feel like this is not, the time to use that as like, this is the time of nuance. Like this is pretty clear, like his actions are clear. And so this idea that he's changed when clearly he hasn't, he never fucking apologized. <laughs> like he never showed remorse for it. And like, I think I read the Aaron Portsline piece in The Athletic that he wrote, I think it was the day after the that first story really broke and hit kind of the mainstream uh, Twitter sphere, I guess, um, where they have the letter written by Isaiah's mother that she sent to these teams. It's like devastating to read. And I think 
it's just the continual story of the white kid getting chance after chance after chance. And I think this is like, this is a very clear case of that, at least um, from what I saw. I also, it's also the same week that um, Joey Moss died. I don't know if you guys know about the, the locker room attendant with Down syndrome and the Oilers. And it's really, really interesting to watch that play out at the same time when there's this, well, if it gets us good PR, we are willing to put a disabled person on our Twitter feed, right? And we're willing to celebrate a lifelong commitment to our organization. But if it threatens our future in competing for a Stanley Cup, then who cares um, what happens to them? So I think that the thing to pay attention to is how strategically the NHL uses disabled people to reform their image, where um, disabled people are always people to be helped um, and never empowered individuals who have the same rights to justice and self-determination that anyone else does. Um, You know, like donating to children's hospitals is great, um, but NHL teams don't do it out of the goodness of their hearts. They do it because it makes them look good. Um, You know, the Make-A-Wish stuff, because it makes them look good. Um, And I don't, I don't want to question the value that perhaps the children in the hospitals get out of the money, you know, like that's not, that's not something I'm willing to question or, you know, the joy that um, people, that uh, people who do the make a wish type stuff um, get out of meeting their favorite sports teams. That's not something I'm willing to question, but the motives of the people on the other side of that, I'm absolutely willing to question. Um, especially for an industry that is actively creating disabled people um, as a full contact sport, um, which I think is something also very important to pay attention to, uh, how the NHL creates disabled people and discards them unless they are still commercially viable. No, that's an interesting aspect that I don't think, I think people find that too hard to think about, or like that's something that they just push to the side because then they can't enjoy watching it. Like I know for, I know we talked about this, watching the Rick Westhead documentary on Toradol and pain addict, pain, um, medication addiction. It was really then hard to go and try and watch a hockey game after that, because it's like that thing is, comes off of your eyes in a way that like that, that blindfold or whatever that, that you put there or that the NHL tries to put there. And then you kind of just start to really question it. One place I think we can talk about is the Seattle franchise who hired one of our friends, Chanel, who is a disabled person to help um, develop their fan. I think it's their fan experience, but also um, just help them in a variety of ways with their future development. And I think like steps like that, where you bring people into the conversation are super important in terms of, yeah, like actively trying to make better space for people. Seattle's kind of just on the forefront of doing everything good. So we're going to be fans of them soon. <laughs> and I'll, I'll steal you away from the Rangers because we got to get you out of there, man. Like you got to leave well, that team. I mean, I do. Henrik Lundqvist just left, which also like, I will fully admit Henrik Lundqvist is a man who built his brand on being a white savior, you know, on like helping kids in Haiti with this foundation that his wife runs, you know, his like perfect, perfect Swedish blonde wife and their two 
perfect Swedish <laughs> blonde-haired, blue-eyed daughters. Like, it's, yeah, it's an image. Madison Square Garden, like, Miracle Network, I think is what it's called. He's, like, one of the main, he's on the board for it, and then he also, like, helped build a Ronald McDonald house in Sweden. You know, so, like, he, that's his brand, is, like, yeah. this white savior thing. Um, and it's a lot of people's brand in professional sports that sort of like we're helping sick people which is really interesting when you put it in conversation with like hyper athleticized bodies that are then put through these absolutely terrifying like fitness regimes that no human being should really have to try and live up to and the kind of science and money that we dump into trying to make I especially think of running backs like extending the life of a running back in the NFL and things like that where yeah. the injuries with that position and it's the same thing in hockey too and that's where you you get this the problems with like pain addiction pain addiction and um chronic concussive syndrome and things like that that the organizations don't really care about um because the long-term impacts of it occur out of sight of um the rink yeah yeah was there anything else we wanted to talk about in terms of this yeah. One of the things that you touched on earlier that it is important is that the speed with which people were already trying to create a redemption narrative was, it just, it blew my mind. I just, I couldn't even believe how quickly it became about, well, he was 14 and now he's got the chance to be a better person. And they're like, Darren Drager went on TSN 1040 yesterday and said that the Coyotes and the University of North Dakota, were planning a anti-bullying campaign with him as the face of it. And this was after the Portsline article came out. And the amount of obliviousness to the situation and to the details of the story and the failure to listen to your fans who are disabled persons, who are people of color, who are Black, who, who have repeatedly raised these issues and to continue to ignore that and focus on giving this guy whose name I refuse to say a redemption narrative within 24 hours of this coming out is it's gross like between that Andy Strickland the ringside reporter for the St. Louis Blues sending out the tweet that was like he was 14 and then raising the story of how Isaiah's dad had reportedly punch someone or like put them in a headlock at a soccer game, which was not verified. What, what is the point of you sending out this tweet? And you add all of that onto the fact that apparently tons of media were aware about this story leading up to the draft. And I think the only people who reported on it were our friends at Elite Prospects and Scott Wheeler from The Athletic were the only two people who raised this and said, this is why he was on their do not draft list. The fact that no one else thought it was worthwhile to raise this story beforehand is just like, it makes no sense to me. Like what is hockey media doing? You're essentially not telling these stories because you need access, but what is the point of you being a journalist? He was on their do not draft list because they didn't know how to spin it. It's not really because they care about disabled people or what, what he did. It was that they didn't know how to spin it with the PR and the coyotes figured that out. Did they though? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, well, I think that in not. general, tell, like all throughout all, like all parts of society, but sports in general, like talented men are essentially told that they can get away with anything. And 
they'll like, it's just like a minor like blip on their record or whatever, or something that can be switched into like a redemption narrative. This is obviously like pretty different of a situation, but like the whole entire like Kobe Bryant, like rape case and all of this, like he went on such like a public image, like backlash after that, like really trying to make it seem like he was like a philanthropist and all of these things, all these great things to make up for the fact that he was accused of rape. Very, very like, he was never convicted, but it was very close. It's very obvious. And I mean, it's just the sense that it's not, it's not like there's consequences for this. And they're never, if you can commit a hate crime when you're 14 and still get drafted into the NHL, it's not, that's not like a redemption arc to show like that's popular to show your like kids or whatever. It actually just shows that you can do whatever you want. The thing I think about is that one, the NHL and this kid Miller thinks that disability is a bad thing, right? Uh, he wouldn't have mocked it otherwise, you know, that um, disabled bodies are bad bodies, which is not true. But then the thing I was thinking about too, is that when he has his middling career in the NHL, his mediocre career, um, and then uh, is injured or suffers some sort of traumatic brain injury. And this is not that I'm wishing this upon him. It's a fact of playing in the NHL, you will leave with a chronic injury. Um, if you're lucky, you won't, but likely you will. Um, and he will leave at least partially disabled, possibly chronically ill, possibly he's at risk for addiction because of the way the NHL treats its players. But when he leaves, it will have been people in Black Lives Matter movement, movements and disability justice movements who will have done way more for him than the NHL will ever bother to do. And they're going to be the ones who show up and have lived and fought and died for the care that he's going to receive when he leaves as a powerful white man. So, you know, the fact that there are people who right now are fighting for access to care um, that he hates, he obviously hates, but they're the ones that are going to mean that he's going to be able to live a full life when he leaves the NHL. I, yeah, I just, I keep thinking about this idea of hockey being a right, like that he has a right to play hockey. And then you look at, like a ton of people brought this up, but like hockey's one of the most inaccessible sports for people to play. Like he doesn't have a right to play this sport. And the fact that like what Mal was saying that for him, this is kind of a blip on his record and whatever he can move on. And we all know that like, that's not the case for people who aren't white men who have this like semblance of privilege. Like that's not how their stories go. They don't get redemption arcs. They don't get second chances. They barely get first chances. So yeah. I mean, and speaking of rights, Isaiah had a right to go to school and be safe. That right trumps his, this other asshole's right to play hockey, like bar none. You know, and like, uh, especially today, I'm thinking about Walter Wallace Jr. He had a right to care. Like his family called an ambulance, not the cops, and the cops killed him. Like he had a right to medical care that would help him during his breakdown. He had a right to safe and like caring medical care, but he didn't receive it because he's black. And so I think when like 
that sort of like move to innocence is so grounded in white supremacy that it's so glaring and it it takes willful ignorance to like committed ignorance to believe that this kid's right to play hockey is more important than Isaiah's right to be safe. You know, like the same people who are going to fight for this asshole to play hockey are the same people who think that the police in Philadelphia were justified, you know? So yeah, yeah. it's a, yeah. No, that's, yeah, it's very true. Hannah, do you have any fun things that you want to share? I mean, I do love hockey. My mom is from New York, which is why I'm a Rangers fan. The problem is I like absolutely cannot be a Caps fan because I hate that troll of Vetchkin. Like he is just... <laughs> I hate him. I hate him so much. He is a cave troll, which I don't know if like that's going to get more people coming at me. Yeah, I think that that might actually be more contentious than like anything like political of like activism that you've said. I think Colleen Ovechkin a caveman troll is really actually going to get people in our mentions. But okay, when he takes his bridge out, he looks like a troll. Like he really does. Anyway, I do just want to say one other thing is that like I'm speaking as a white disabled person and that a lot of what I've spoken about and learned has come from black disabled people. Um, And so I'm going to send Georgia a list of a few people that you might want to follow on Twitter to learn more about this. Um, Also, especially indigenous and other women of color. You're welcome to talk to me on Twitter if you're nice. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so we wanted to do something on Jamie Ben. So I feel like we need to shout out Air Sign Menace because that's what I that was like do. the most iconic thing I've ever seen. Yeah, Katie Holdridge, who is Jamie Ben's ex-girlfriend, posted a photo basically saying like, go vote so you can get your finger condom. And then he posted an Instagram story of a guy, of like the, the guy, guy holding the, the sign. Finger. Yeah, but it said you can vote without posting your sticker, which was clearly just a Katie subtweet. I mean, subtweet on Instagram, whatever you want to call it. And so if you don't follow Danny, whose handle is at Menace on Twitter, you should reconsider your life and you should follow her because she's hilarious. I did just see the Jamie Bynn looking like a washed up adulterer. And that's, that's so funny. So... That's just like the beginning, like, or rather the end of the tear that Danny went on today. I think it starts with a post of the actual thing. And she starts with Jamie Ben, please go to hell. <laughs> Here's a really good one. You can vote without posting your sticker and you can leave your girlfriend unsatisfied without broadcasting to the world that you specifically don't eat pussy and see it as a defect. You can also not talk to random bitches while in literal quarantine with your girlfriend, but whatever. That was where it started to get so good. It's so um, iconic, you guys. Like, it's so dying. iconic. No, my favorite one was actually, I think, two tweets later. It was, imagine being such a dookie butt person that your alternate captain who is known for drunkenly dancing half naked on tables and fucking anything with a pulse is considered more of a leader in the community than you, the actual captain of the Dallas Stars. Tragic. <laughs> And I have to tell you, like, I literally, oh my God. I, it goes, it goes on. Like it gets better. And like, it, we witnessed a murder. That was a murder yeah. online. It was incredible. It was a masterpiece. 
this this I will leave you with this quote, which is please lock yourself back in your empty basement and continue watching baseball while chewing tobacco or whatever it is Art Ross winners by default do. <laughs> I don't understand. She's like an she's just an icon. Honestly, yeah. Mal, I, re- I remember the day when you messaged, I think it was the group chat, like the yeah, other like, group chat, and, and you were like, like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, everyone follow this girl. I was like, oh my God, this is so fucking funny. Yeah. So shout out to Danny at Airside Menace. Say my name, say my name. All right, name five players for this week. Name five players. In, this is in honor of Jamie Ben. Name five players who would potentially cheat on their girlfriends while in quarantine on their birthday. I guess there's only four of us technically. So I mean, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Jamie Ben on that. I think. Excuse me. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go with Jamie Ben. <laughs> Such a fucking cop out. He's our fifth that's one. That's who I'm going with. Pick an original one. That is. I don't think that anybody else actually can reach those levels. Brennan impressed. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it was the bachelor party, but that's fine. I'm trying to think of other dirtbags that aren't like Austin Matthews, because that's a boring one. Nessa, do you have one? No. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, no slandering on the timeline. <laughs> fine, I'll say it. Austin Matthews, he would cheat on his girlfriend in quarantine on her birthday and would not have a girlfriend so also like probably Casperi Kapanen he doesn't keep it on the d on the dl like he likes to broadcast Kapanen is i think a better better choice than austin i feel like austin just doesn't yeah you've got yeah can we get Paige on the pod i would love to have Paige on the pod she would totally do it she would do it that's what's so concerning before we sign off special shout out to this week's 31 thought this week, we're going outside the realm of hockey, and we're going to go with uh, Cody Bellinger because he's fun and he likes a headband. You can interact with us on Twitter and Instagram at broadcastpod or email us at broadcastpod at gmail.com. We love to chat with you guys, and we do want your feedback on what you liked, disliked, and any other content that you would like to see or hear. You can find us all on Twitter. I'm at Georgia Twist. I'm at Samantha CP underscore. I'm at Sports Lesbian. And I'm at Vanessa Jang. And Danny is at Danny Huntley if you want to interact with her. On behalf of the broads, thank you, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.